This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two on a Friday. Sportsnet today along with you. Logan Gordon, outstanding production team of Cam and Taylor in the other room. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And uh, just moments away from starting off the hour in Toronto. The news of the day, the Toronto Maple Leafs making the decision to part ways with GM Kyle Dubas. The man behind that decision is President and Alternate Governor of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Brendan Shanahan. He is moments away from speaking to the media in Toronto. Some clarity on the Kyle Dubas dismissal. And perhaps uh, a word or two from Brendan on the future GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs and when that process might begin. Quick reminder, later on this hour, stay tuned. We'll preview the Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars with our pal Ken Belke from Sinbin Vegas. Game one of the Western Conference Final goes tonight. After the Eastern Conference Final got things going last night with a quadruple OT win for the Florida Panthers over the Carolina Hurricanes. They lead that series one game to none with game two coming up on Saturday from Raleigh. Again, uh, welcome to the program. Whether you're listening live or on the podcast, we're just getting set to kick off the hour with uh, some special coverage from Toronto. Expecting to hear from uh, President and Alternate Governor Brendan Shanahan in just moments. Kyle Dubas, uh, whose contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs comes to an end on June 30th, will not return as this team's GM. This uh, conversation really began throughout the season as to wondering what Dubas' future would be like. Had he secured himself a future as the team's GM with a round one win over Tampa Bay? That quickly scuttled after a five-game out to the Florida Panthers. And the situation only exasperated on locker room cleanout day when Kyle Dubas said that he wasn't exactly sure if he wanted to be back as GM. He had some family issues to discuss. He wanted to discuss his future with his family and see what was next for him in his career. At that time, he did say, you know, if he wasn't going to be the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, don't expect him to be popping up in a GM chair anywhere else around the league immediately either. We'll see if that still rings true, but uh, all of this going to be mostly from a Leafs side of things. And hopefully some clarity from Brendan Shanahan as we get set uh, to head to Toronto uh, and uh, do this. And we will head to Toronto right now as here's Brendan Shanahan taking the podium uh, in Toronto with the news that Kyle Dubas is no longer the least general manager. uh, Welcome, everybody. We're just going to start with a brief opening statement. And then following opening statement, just please raise your hand for a microphone. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, first off, um, I apologize for for conducting this on a on a Friday at 
at three o'clock in front of a long weekend. Um, and uh, before I get started on, on a bit of a timeline here and questions, uh, I thought it was really important to at this point say as well, uh, I want to thank Kyle Dubas uh, for the nine years that he has given to this hockey organization and all the tremendous contributions that he has made to the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's uh, been a fan fantastic employee and a fantastic person the entire time. Um, timeline on, on the Kyle Dubas contract. I, I, I suppose you could go back to uh, last offseason. Uh, I approached Kyle uh, in his office at the Ford Performance Center and explained to him that he would be not receiving a contract offer prior to his final year of his contract. Um, I tried to reassure him that that it wasn't a reflection on his future with the club. I reminded him that it was a situation I found myself in a few years prior as well, and that it was my hope and it was my intention that at the end of the year and after being judged for the full five, year of, five years of his contract, that we would be extending him and mo moving forward. Kyle took it very well. I thought he was a pro. He addressed that in the uh, in his uh, opening season statements that he was comfortable with that, and I thought that he had done an excellent job. Um, I thought Kyle had a great offseason. Uh, we had some difficult choices to make. Um, if, if you're judging him on, on the work he did last summer, some of the decisions of letting players go, of signing some players, I think it's a challenging job for any general manager, and I think Kyle did an excellent job. We came into the season very well organized, many options. I thought the team Typical season of highs and lows, but had an excellent regular season. Um, going throughout the year, um, the way that the team was managed, I had no issue with that. As a matter of fact, I thought that, again, Kyle did an excellent job. Uh, the trade deadline, um, again, going back to his process and the way that our team does this here under his leadership, there's a, there's a lot of input. And I thought that he made some very good moves. And I thought he had prepared the team um, to the best of his ability, as any GM can do after the trade deadline. There's not as much for a GM to do. So it was important for me shortly after the trade deadline, around the middle of March, I approached Kyle in his office at Ford Performance Center and told him that I had seen enough in my mind that I had wanted him to be our general manager going forward but he should go home and take some time to think about it. And if he was comfortable with that idea, I would start talking to ownership about that. Kyle appreciated that. Um, we've, we had a good relationship the whole year. That day was nothing different. Um, he came back to me about a week later and said yes, that, that he was comfortable moving forward. And he gave me the name of his agent, or he said his agent would reach out to me but that he didn't want this to be a distraction for him. And I respected his wishes that I wasn't going to discuss it with him uh, any further at that point. So um, fast forward to the end of the season, getting through the end of the regular season, the playoffs. I had many good conversations with Kyle's agent, uh, felt we were making progress. I wanted to be in a position so to A, to respect Kyle's wishes and not discuss this with him as it was going along. Uh, but I knew his agent from time to time was giving him updates. That was, that's really up to them. I, I don't know exactly what was going on there. Um, 
But I felt those conversations, which were productive, had put me in a position that when the season ended, um, or even if it was between rounds, um, because at a certain point I felt either if, however round two ended, even if we were moving on to round three, that this was something that needed attention now. And I felt that those conversations and the communications I got from Kyle had put me in a position where I could um, come to him with something that was pretty much a finished deal um, that reflected what he wanted financially and what he wanted as a general manager, what was important to him. Um, when the season did end, unfortunately, abruptly, um, it was very important to me that I was ready to go early. I expressed to Kyle that night that as disappointed as we all were, I thought he had done a good job. Um, it's, it's a tough time for the players. It's a tough time for management. It's a tough time for all of us. It's a tough time for Maple Leaf fans in those, in, in those moments after a loss. Uh, but we had a day off on Saturday. We communicated a little bit through text on, uh, on Sunday. We had a team photo here. We went up to my office. I uh, had another good conversation with Kyle. I, I presented him with what I thought was a framework that reflected what his agent and I had talked to and a good finishing place in the uh, effort to, to get this done as soon as possible. Um, and Kyle took it. He seemed fine, or he seemed uh, pleased to, to receive that news so quickly. We then talked about the hockey team for another couple of hours, and we went home. And we knew the next day we were having exit physicals and media. We talked a little bit about doing media. I had expressed to him that I was, it was not my intention to talk to the media until I had something settled with him. Um, I expressed that it, I thought it was maybe a good idea if he didn't either, but Kyle said he really wanted to talk to the media, and, and, and I respected that. He, uh, he felt that he, his players were speaking, his coach was speaking, and that he should as well, and I respected his wishes. So um, the next day when, you know, and, and, and let me go back. I would also say part of our conversation in my office was that this was hard on his family, in fairness. We talked about that, how, quite frankly, it's... it's it, it's, it's, it's hard on all our families. We, it's, it's a difficult thing. It's hard on the players, um, the parents. But it, it's, it's the job we choose. It's the sport we choose. We're, we're very fortunate to be in it. But it, it does not come without a toll on the families. And I completely acknowledge that. And uh, we talked a little bit about that. Um, the next day, though, I would say when after, while watching Kyle's press... Um, I, I think at that point, it, there was a shift in, in, in my thinking at that moment, a dramatical shift in my thinking as I drove home that night that, as Kyle expressed, he might not want to be our GM. And I have to take that very seriously. Um, I, as I had said to him the day before, I, I, I understood those feelings and the pressure and the pressure that players are under, the pressure that management, coaches... Uh, family members are under, um, but it was a very real possibility for me at that point that I would be needing to look somewhere else. And it's, as part of my job, that is what I began to do while still hoping that Kyle and I could come to some sort of a resolution. What I would say then was in the next few days, um, I didn't get any more clarity. 
um, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday. Um, Tuesday, Kyle and I did not meet privately. Um, on, on Wednesday, we did meet privately and we discussed this again for a long time. Um, I had probably more questions than answers and I did not have clarity. It further made me feel that there's a strong possibility that, that rightfully anyone's uh, right to do so, he might not want to be the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So my focus then again uh, continued toward the path of what do we look like next year with a different general manager. Um, to Thursday, the next day, uh, Kyle had said uh, that his agent was going to call me and that he would reach out to me as well. Uh, I got a call in the afternoon from his agent and uh, basically a, a new financial package was presented to me by the agent. Um, the conversation was brief. I did not hear from Kyle throughout the day and I went home and just before dinner time I got an email from Kyle saying that he did want to be the, uh, the general manager of the Maple Leafs. At that point, I have to, if I'm being honest, I, I was, I had gotten to a different place about how I felt about the future of the Toronto Maple Leafs and what was best. And as hard as it was and as hard as, as it is to make a significant change to somebody that you're close to and that you've been working with for nine years, I, even though I was presented with, um, well, a gap had risen within the contract status, and, um, but nevertheless, uh, the email that I received from Kyle, I, I, I just felt differently, and I felt that the long-term future of the Maple Leafs might have to change, and uh, slept on that, and uh, woke up this morning, drove to Kyle's office at Ford Performance Center, and informed him that we were not going to be renewing his contract. And that's where we are here today. Um, obviously, I have, there will be questions, and I'm happy to do my best and answer the ones that I can. My focus now, after I'm done with this, is immediately to begin the pursuit of interviewing candidates for being the next general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just raise your hand. Uh, Chris Johnson right there. So, Brendan, just to follow what you've said there, do you think from your side of things that this broke down entirely over money? No, no, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't characterize it as breaking down over money. I, I think, like I said, I think knowing and recognizing uh, Monday uh, after the uh, availability that, that when a, when, look, when a general manager is playing out the last year of his contract, there's, there's always the possibility of a contingency that you might need a new general manager. He might choose to go to another team. Um, and I think that I felt I had gotten a little bit closer and felt some indications that we were going to work this out. I would say 
after the press conference on Monday, I was less sure. Um, and, I, and I thought there, there is a real possibility that he might not want to do this and that he might need to, I think, as he said, take a step back. At that point, um, I hadn't ruled Kyle Dubas out, but I certainly had to make sure that I was thinking of other options as well. Kevin. Uh, Brandon, you said at one point you realized the future of the Maple Leafs have to change in reference to moving on from Kyle. Does that mean you look for a different kind of general manager, like a, a, a person with a different kind of vision for the team? Or what kind of, what are you looking for in your next guy? Well, it's... What I would say is that I'm, I'm going to be open-minded to who that person can be. I'm, I want to be open-minded to all candidates. Certainly having an experienced general manager um, would be uh, an attractive quality. Luke. How much of this decision was yours alone versus getting input from the board and ownership on letting Kyle go? Well, I think in any organization, and ours is no different, on, on decisions as big as this, um, it is something that you, you communicate with your bosses. But this was my, ultimately my decision. They were supportive, but ultimately uh, that, that is my job, and it is my job to make recommendations to them, and that was my recommendation and decision. Josh. Kyle, or sorry, uh, Kyle had, you said, uh, you, could, you could have maybe signed him last, last summer. What's the level of regret now that that, that didn't get done and, and having a, a lame duck general manager, for lack of a better term, for, for the whole year and, and what that strain might have also meant? Um, I think it's more common than, than, uh, than people realize. I think that, that players go through it, uh, management goes through it, coaches go through it. Um, and I, it's not ideal, certainly. Um, but I, I thought that's why it was very important to be very communicative with Kyle throughout the year try to be as supportive as I could throughout the year, and also um, go to him as soon as I thought that, that it was fair to go to him that after the trade deadline and, and say that, that if you're comfortable doing this and take your time to find out if you are, I want to start going to work on getting this done. So that was not something that would be on his mind going into the playoffs, that, that, uh, that I felt he had put the team in a position to have success. Um, so it was important to me to not just wait and see what the result was, but, but to, to be consistent, not with just the support I try to give him on a daily basis, um, but also have something tangible presented to him uh, in the form of a verbal commitment by me and then subsequent conversations with his agent that, that went well. So, so Brandon, just to be clear, on, on Monday then, when, when Kyle said to us they left the door open to not returning next season as Leafs GM, that was news to you, more or less, that that could be a possibility? I, I, I think we had discussed that certainly um, it, was, it was a concern, uh, not just for Kyle, but just... Um, but we're speaking about Kyle specifically. I think we had discussed the day before that it was a concern for him. Uh, I, I didn't expect that he was going to go out and put that to the public, but nevertheless, um, it, it made it all more real and all more serious, certainly. Uh, it presented, certainly, lots of questions. I have no issue with Kyle's honesty, um, Kyle's emotions. I think Kyle is, 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 is an honest person. Um, like I said, we, I've, I've been in this game a long time. I've, I've 
We, we have all had these experiences where we see, whether it's as a player or in management, um, how this can impact your children at school or your, or your family. So I, I want to be very empathetic and understanding and know and understand that, that that's a very real thing, not just in Toronto and not just in the sport of hockey, but, but, but really everywhere. I do think it's a, a, a massive privilege to, to be able to play or work in the National Hockey League. But, but that's not to underscore that, that it is difficult for all athletes in all cities and, and management as well. David. Right, and as you look for a new general manager, are there any other personnel decisions that you're going to make between now and then, or are you going to let the new person handle that? Sorry, I didn't hear that last part. Uh, are there any personnel decisions you're going to make between now and when you hire the new general manager, or are you going to uh, leave that to the new person in terms of head coach? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I have spoken with most of our, our staff. I've, I've called several of our players, um, and, and I have another call set up uh, with more staff members after I'm done here. I, I think that, that some of those decisions have to be the responsibility of, of the new general manager. And I think in the meantime, I'm, I'm going to lean heavily on, on Brandon Pridham um, and, uh, and we're going to get through this time. But timeline-wise, and I've, I've, I've had a great conversation with Wes Clark about the upcoming draft. And, and, and uh, you know, we've, we've built something here that I think in, in, uh, that is that, you know, there are a lot of people who are shocked and saddened today. And that I'd be, I'd be, it would be a little strange if it wasn't that way. Um, but we also have a lot of people here that, that are... Um, coming back to work and doing their jobs and getting ready to do the things that they are paid to do. And uh, that was encouraging. And uh, as far as any sort of big major decisions, uh, the, the biggest one is finding a general manager. And to me, there's, a, there, there's an urgency to do that. I don't think it needs to be rushed. I wanna, I wanna really say, I'm not gonna do it in, in a hastily way. I wanna be very thoughtful and thorough, but I do think it is a priority and it needs to happen uh, rather soon. We're only gonna do three more. Lance, Mark, and eyes. Brendan, many of us were in the same room. I think nine years ago, when you uh, when you hired Kyle, uh, what can you say about where it ended up? And how disappointing is this to you on a personal level? You put his uh, you put your neck out for him a few times. Uh, went past other candidates and, and tried to stay with him. You know, I've been in this. You know, when you're in a position where you have to have that conversation with people, it's uh, on a personal level. It, it is it is difficult. You you're it's um, you know their families. You you it, it 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 is a difficult thing, but it's it is part of the job. It is part of the responsibility that you take on, and and I don't see Kyle at all or Kyle coming here as a failure in any way. Kyle was instrumental in where this organization is today. Um, I've got to think about how do we get where we want to go in the future, and how do we how what is what are the best ways for us to be better, and what are new ideas and new thoughts, um, but but. From that time back in 2014, Lance, to now, it's a journey. And, and not just Kyle, but other people who are along for parts of that journey, if we finally get and we're determined to get to where we need to get to, um, those people will all have their fingerprints on that journey and all be, uh, you know, be major contributors. Uh, and that's what makes me thankful, not just for Kyle, but for a lot of the people who have helped along the way. Mark. Brendan, in his comments on Monday, Kyle mentioned that he, if he had remained, he may have to, you know, adjust his plan. What was your takeaway 
from the way this season ended and what do you see as being needed to help this group get over the hump moving forward? Well, I, I, I don't want to get ahead of that. And again, I, I want to speak to new candidates. I certainly have some thoughts and opinions, but I've always, I've always, um, the way that it's always worked here, whether you're president of the team or you're, you know, uh, pro scouts, like we've, we've had a very sort of a open atmosphere where people can state their opinions to the general manager and the general manager makes decisions. Um, that's the way it has been. It's how I expect it to be going forward. We want to support the GM. The GM and the coach and the players, they're forward-facing the most. The, the most pressure is on them. Um, so I think that when it comes to that, certainly I, I, what I took from Kyle's comments were accurate and honest, which is without making any promises, we will look at everything in the organization and try to make decisions that will make us better. And that might be on a, on a, not on the timeline that everybody wants. It might not occur just this summer. It might occur during the season. It might occur on the next trade deadline. But, you know, just being different doesn't solve something. And, and, and me removing Kyle from the position of general manager isn't the solution. It's finding something that is a better fit that is a solution. And it's the same on the ice. And I think that's what Kyle was saying was, and, and I don't know how you argue with that, that if, if we find a way to make an improvement on the ice, then we have to explore that. That, that wasn't directed at any one player or any one position or, or at any job specifically. We are every single year looking to get better. And sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not, but that is always the goal. Last question, guys. Um. You mentioned uh, Brandon Pridham. Uh, is he is he a candidate in your in your in your search here? And the other thing is, I mean, it's not just a draft. You've got contract issues coming up with Nylander, with uh, with Austin Matthews, and there's a deadlines coming up. Um, I mean, how difficult is it to spread around those things? Because those are things that can't wait, even if there is a uh, you know, a prolongated process to look for a new GM. Yeah, and and I think um, to answer your first question, I, I'm I'm not ruling anybody out at this point. I think we'll all we'll have all those conversations. As I said to you, I've I've told you what some of the the things that would be attractive to me, but I'm I'm not ruling out any possibilities in a future general manager. Um, and then, yeah, we, we, we have to get to work. And Brandon's a great example of a guy that has excellent relationships with, with agents and players and, and uh, getting ready for the draft. So we, we have a staff in place. We have a staff that certainly feels wounded today, um, as we all do and as we all should. Um, but we also have a staff that is professional and ready to do the job and prepared to do the job. Uh, hopefully we find a general manager um, as soon as possible and somebody that fits what we're looking for. And, and can help the Toronto Maple, Toronto Maple Leafs get to the next level. Because as, as we saw this year, the, you know, the goal wasn't just to get past the first round and everything gets easier. You get past the first round and you, you lose a very closely fought series um, in the second round, and it's devastating, as it should be. And it's hard, and, and people are impacted and affected. But the reality is, it doesn't get easier in the third round. It doesn't get easier by going to the finals. There's only one team that it's easy for at the end of the year, and that's the winner.
So we learned this year by successfully getting out of the first round that that there, there is no nice summer or finish line just for having partial success. And quite frankly, what we've learned here as a group, many of them for the first time, uh, the second round doesn't make it feel better. And the news that's coming, if we are lucky enough to keep improving and keep getting better, is it only gets harder. The pressure only mounts. The ability to make decisions under pressure only gets harder as you get to the third round, as you get to the fourth round. Your decisions are more impactful and have more of an impact on the fan base um, as you get deeper into the playoffs. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. That is President and Ultimate Governor of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Brendan Shanahan. Lots of interesting details there on the timeline and thought process for the Toronto Maple Leafs and their decision to let go of Kyle Dubas as their GM. We're going to take a break, come back on the other side, have a preview around uh, the first game of the Western Conference Final. It's the Golden Knights. It's the Dallas Stars. We'll talk with Ken Belkey of Sinbin Vegas around the corner here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, Hour 2 continues on Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Just finished hearing from Brendan Shanahan, President and Alternate Governor of the Toronto Maple Leafs, on the big news of the day that the Leafs have let go of GM Kyle Dubas and will begin the search for a new GM immediately. That's what's going on off the ice. On the ice, however, we've got a Western Conference final to get to. The Dallas Stars and the Vegas Golden Knights meeting up from T-Mobile Arena for game one tonight. It's a 6.30 puck drop on Sportsnet and CBC. Golden Knights, they've been here before. It's becoming more of a tradition than anything for the NHL's second newest franchise. While the Dallas Stars, last memories of a Western Conference final, eventually led to a Stanley Cup final loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Edmonton bubble. What happens this year? How did we get to this point? Well, from a Vegas perspective ahead of tonight's game one, very happy to go down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar. Guest hotline this afternoon, welcoming our pal from Sinbin, uh, Sinbin Vegas, excuse me. It's Ken Belke joining us this afternoon. Ken, thanks as always for the time, man. How are you? Yeah, absolutely. How are you doing? We're doing good, man. Uh, looking forward to this one tonight. I imagine the... Uh, Excitement level around uh, Vegas is pretty high, as always, when it gets to the Western Conference Final. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And it looks like got a very good shot to do it again. Could, you know, it weren't successful the last two times, but certainly have a shot to do it this time. I think they have a better team going into this series. So definitely a shot to go back to the Cup Final for the first time in five years. Uh, how did we get to this point, specifically through the second round, Ken? Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights made a lot of friends uh, in my city here, taking out the Edmonton Oilers in six games. But what made them so successful to get through that series? We know how good Connor and Leon can be. We showed that off that Leon showed it at least to begin the series. But it certainly felt like Vegas found a, a way to success in that second round. How did you see them getting past the Oilers in six games? 
I thought they did it with depth and five on five play. They were just more consistent at five on five, really not giving up much of anything. The entirety of the series, it was power player bust for Edmonton, which is kind of what they've done, but they scored a lot more at five on five than they did in that series. Uh, and then they kind of just, I thought they kept their composure a lot better as the series went on from, from head coach to star players, to depth players, to everybody. And, you know, obviously Alex Petrangelo takes the slashing penalty and gets the suspension himself, but kind of the, the lead up to it was a lot of Edmonton kind of going out of their way to try and hit people and do illegal stuff. And eventually Vegas just had enough. And that was basically it from there. Edmonton was the one continuously losing their composure and Vegas just stayed with the program despite being down in every single game. They trailed literally in every single game of the series and were able to come back and win four of them. Uh, you, Jack Eichel obviously was, was going to be one of the guys that had a big spotlight on him, given the fact that he was drafted after Connor McDavid and set up this one-two battle. But they go about their business in, in very different ways, Ken, and I thought that uh, it was a big sign from, from not only Jack, but maybe from the team understanding that he doesn't have to be Connor McDavid to be successful. I thought he was actually a, a very important piece to what they've done, not only in that Edmonton series, but what they've done in this postseason. Yeah, he's been really good through the first two series. And he, he really was the kind of the catalyst of flipping the game back in Vegas's favor throughout the last series. Like what they had to do was they had to possess the puck in the offensive zone. That makes Connor and Leon defend. It puts Edmonton kind of uh, in trouble because they're not all that good defensively. And then most importantly, it keeps them out of your zone. And there were times where Edmonton would start kind of getting things going in the right direction. And inevitably, pretty much every time uh, Eichel jumped over the boards, he was able to get a controlled entry, hold the puck in the offensive zone and kind of slow the game down for Vegas and get it back to what they wanted to do. And that second period of game six is probably the best example where just every single time you went out there, he was making something happen. And even though he wasn't the guy getting on the scoreboard, that was Marcia. So every time he was the guy driving the bus, he was doing the things that you expect from the $10 million player that they traded three first round picks for. Like he finally really stepped forward in that role and said like, yes, this is what I'm here to do. And he went about it and absolutely did it in those first two series, much more so in the Edmonton series, though he was tremendous in that series. How much credit goes to a guy like Aiden Hill being able to come in and really steady the ship for this group after Laurent Brassois went down with injury? It's an interesting kind of situation that they've gone through all year, which is basically it doesn't really make a difference who steps in there as the goalie. And, and, and there's so many different ways to look at it. Obviously, you want to start and just credit the goalies and saying, well, all five of them were willing to and able to step up and, and get the job done. But at the same time, I think a huge amount of credit goes on the system. They play a very what they've called goalie-friendly system where they keep the shots to the outside and then they battle for these rebounds in front. And all you have to do is stop that first one and usually they're going to be able to clear the puck out in front. And I think they have made it very easy on all of these goalies. That doesn't mean that these goalies haven't done a good job when they've stepped in there. You still have to stop that first shot. But I do think that, that, that most of the credit should go to the system now that we're two goalies into the playoffs, five goalies into the season, and it just really has not affected the Golden Knights at all. So I give much of that credit to the coaching staff and the style of defense that they've played. And that coaching staff is obviously a new one, Ken, and that's under the tutelage of Bruce Cassidy. Year one, obviously, looking like a very successful one. He's brought the team back to the Western Conference Final. But what have you seen from him in the playoffs? I know there always seems to be that added element of what a head coach can bring to a team 
whether it's matchups, whether it's systems. What have you made of Bruce Cassidy uh, when it comes to the postseason and the impact he's had on the Golden Knights? Yeah, he's pretty much made every single right decision when it comes down to lineup decisions. He has not had to make a ton of them, but you know, something as simple as how are you going to insert Mark Stone back into the lineup, the obvious thought would be throw him up on the first line and just let him go with Jack Eichel. He ended up not doing that, and it's worked to this point. I don't think that, that was as easy a decision as it may look from the outside. Will Carrier comes back in in Game 5. He had to bench Phil Kessel. Again, not an easy decision. Later in the last series, he put Michael Amadio, who scored a game-winning overtime goal. He put him out of the lineup to bring back in Teddy Bluger and move uh, Nick Waugh up the lineup. So they've done a number of these different things that have all worked. But I think the biggest thing that he's done is he's installed a plan to start both series and stuck with that plan. Despite game one in the first series going horribly wrong, games two and four also going very wrong for the Golden Knights, they've never kind of wavered from what they've tried to do. He's constantly said, this is the plan. This is what we need to do. If we just get back to it, we'll be fine. And through the first two series, that's been absolutely accurate. And that plan that he set forth has been perfect. It's gotten the job done both times very, very successfully. Has Bruce Cassidy been able to take advantage of the fact that in the depth make I don't want to say the depth makes Vegas unmatchable, Ken, but in the sense that I don't think Bruce Cassidy has to necessarily worry if, say, Nick Waugh's line happened to get out on an icing right. shift against Connor McDavid or if it was Nick Haig's pairing. There always seems to be you know, that sort of depth for Vegas that makes it say, okay, we, we don't necessarily have to panic. Obviously, we'd like a better matchup, but it seems like that depth for Vegas has sort of avoided that factor that we always talked about in the playoffs with matchups and, and hard matching. Absolutely, 100%. Now, that doesn't mean they're not chasing William Carlson getting out there against the best players on the other team. They're going to continue doing that. But I think you're right in the fact that it kind of eases that stress of like, uh-oh, I can't have this line out there against a certain other line or a certain other D pair. And it goes for all four lines and all three D pairs. If they're fairly comfortable, that they can at the very least zero out the shift and get off of there without any sort of a disaster. It just it gives you the luxury to kind of open things up as the game goes on and, and gives you different options as when things are going right or things are going wrong to give different looks at the other team that I just don't think that Edmonton had at all. They either had Connor and Leon are together or Connor and Leon are separate. And if neither of those worked, then they were kind of up a creek. The Golden Knights have a lot more options, a lot more matchup decisions that they can make, and, and that's been huge to their success against two fairly shallow teams that they played. I think that's a huge difference going into this series is that Dallas might be just as deep as the Golden Knights. That's uh, where I wanted to go with you next. How do you uh, look at this series from a Vegas perspective going up against a team like Dallas that, like you said, brings similar depth and obviously has a guy behind the bench that's pretty familiar with a lot of these Vegas Golden Knights? Yeah, I'm real interested to see how, how Dallas goes about scoring in this series because that's something that, in the first two series, that wasn't necessarily something we were expecting to be a problem for the opposing team. Like we knew Edmonton was going to score when Winnipeg's playing at their best, they're going to get some goals. Dallas is a team that can go cold. And we know as well as anyone that's covered DeBoer teams, DeBoer teams tend to go cold in the playoffs. And I look at kind of just the matchups and the, the systems and how they go against each other. And I think Vegas is just going to keep them to the outside, block a whole bunch of shots and win on rebounds in front. And as long as they can keep Pavelski, Ben Sagan, these guys away from tipping pucks past Hill, 
long as they can keep that from happening, I think it's going to be really difficult for Dallas to score. They're very rush reliant and the Golden Knights very rarely give up rush opportunities. So I think the matchup looks really good defensively for Vegas. The question just becomes, are they going to be able to score enough on the other side? And I, I have to believe that they can because they're one of the highest scoring teams in the playoffs so far. Do you change much up if you're Vegas? Obviously, there's different matchups. There's different stars to worry about. But as far as the approach goes, do you think much changes for the Golden Knights as far as their attacking game plan against Dallas? Not really. I think they're going to have to be a little bit more assertive in the offensive zone than they were against Edmonton. I think against Edmonton, you kind of just hold it and wait for them to screw up, wait for somebody to forget that they're defending a guy which happened over and over ask Jonathan Marsh so he had three goals no one was near him on any of the three goals like they forget they they just they're not a good defensive team they want to get out they want to attack that's not Dallas I think in, against Dallas they're gonna kind of be all over you in the defensive zone you've got to move the puck quickly and then you have to do something when you beat that pressure like that's the biggest thing that the Golden Knights are going to have to be focused on is when they get these numbers advantages that they are getting the puck from one side to the other and all of a sudden you have a a two-on-one or a three-on-two, you got to get downhill. you got to get at the goal quickly because they will recover quickly and take that advantage away. It's something that I don't think necessarily was the case against Edmonton that's certainly going to be there against Dallas. Where do you see Mark Stone uh, best fitting into this series? He just continues to be the, the old reliable Mark Stone at both ends of the ice for this Vegas team, but how do you see him fitting in yeah. specifically in this series against Dallas? I think he's going to have a have a pretty big role in in generating rush chances for the Golden Knights because I think that's one of the things that Dallas has struggled a bit with this season and I don't think the Golden Knights are quite the rush team uh, that Seattle is but I think that with the way that they're going to be activating defensemen they're going to be trying to get out on the rush themselves Mark Stone's play in the neutral zone and then getting it out of the defensive zone is is really really good he makes these really quick subtle plays that pop two-on-ones for Stevenson going the other way. And I think you're going to see a lot of that board battles that he wins that, that lead to transition chances and just simply utilizing Chandler Stevenson's speed. And then it's going to come down to Stevenson and Howden to finish those chances. And that's been hit or miss. Most of the time, Stevenson does it. Howden, we've seen some good things and some bad. So if it's not Stone up there in the rush with them, those other two are going to have to do the job to make sure that Stone's work to make it happen is actually worth something. What's the goaltending situation look like for Vegas injury-wise, Ken, as we head into this series? I, the latest I've heard, Quick's there to back up Hill, but perhaps uh, Logan Thompson's return uh, sits closer than it, it might have ever been at any point this postseason? Yeah, so we haven't actually seen him rejoin the team yet, so we're not 100% sure he's skating, but... Uh, they do this thing where they black out the practice rink when somebody injured is skating. And as it turns out, he's the only injured player on the entire roster. So the fact that they're blacking out the rink indicates to us that he's probably out there skating. What that actually means and how close he is to returning, we really don't have any idea because this has happened multiple times in his recovery for this same injury where he's kind of ramped it up, gotten himself back to being close, and then all of a sudden, when they put him back in these opportunities to play in practice, he just isn't able to handle it. His body isn't able to keep up with the rigors of what it's going to take, which means he wouldn't be able to play. I just think when you look at where they're at in regards to how long it's been since Logan Thompson played, which he has not played a full game since before the All-Star break. He played one game out of the All-Star break, got hurt 56 minutes into that game, and has not played a second since. 
the idea that he's going to suddenly be, be able to go back into the lineup midway through the Western Conference final, having not played since January, to me is a bit far-fetched. So no matter what the health looks like, even if he's miraculously 100% healthy tomorrow, I don't know what the path is to get him back in. I think it's Aiden Hill's goal, unless he gets hurt, in which case if he gets hurt, I think they're going to have to turn to Jonathan Quick. Ken Belke along with us from Sinbin Vegas getting set for the Stars and the Golden Knights tonight. Game one, Western Conference final, 6.30 puck drop uh, across the Sportsnet television network. Just a couple more for you, Ken. Uh, if they were to give out a halfway Con Smythe award, uh, who would win it for the Vegas Golden Knights in your mind? Uh, I would be between two players. I think who would end up actually taking it would be Eichel just because the numbers are there, the offensive production's there, the name recognition's there. But to me, the most impactful player, the most important player for the Golden Knights to this point has been William Carlson. Scored a bunch of goals in the first series and then last series. As it went along, he became kind of the hero of slowing down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. In, in game six, I, I still can't believe this is real life, but in game six, every single time there was a TV timeout, they would the, the Oilers would run away from using McDavid against Carlson. McDavid played five minutes in the first period of game six. Like that is insanity when you think about the fact of like, what are you doing? Why yeah. would you not use him more? So to me, Carlson's ability to kind of force that from Jay Woodcroft, like that cannot go understated. And you look at how the series ended, they stopped scoring five on five goals. Edmonton could not get a five on five goal. And that's how Vegas ends up winning two of the, you know, the last two games and, and taking that from a 2-2 to 4-2 series. All right, let's play the prediction game, Ken. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights get to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, if and uh, if you were to give us a prediction, how do you see this one working out games-wise uh, between these two teams? So I'm kind of a little bit on an island here, and it's going to make me sound a bit like a homer, and I hope people don't take it too much because I'm typically not a homer. I actually didn't pick the Golden Knights to win the last series. I think they're going to win in five. I just don't think Dallas is going to be able to score goals. And to me, if if you can't figure out how to get to the inside against the Golden Knights, you will struggle over and over and over again to get the puck all the way to the goalie. I just think over the course of the series, it's going to be difficult for Dallas to generate anything off the rush because Vegas won't give them any of it. And then in zone, I don't know that they're going to be willing or able to get to the inside. I, I made the prediction on a show I just did uh, on, on our site a little while ago. I think they're going to score eight goals in five games. And I think the Golden Knights win in five games, allowing eight goals. Is Ottinger, for the, you know, is Ottinger the one X factor in all of this, knowing how good he can be if he turns it on? Certainly. I mean, obviously, if he has a dominant series, it could very well look differently and make it maybe Vegas only gets seven goals in those five games. Right. But <laughs> yeah. in the end, in the end, to me, it's like if Dallas can't score, Ottinger can only do so much. Yeah. Right? Like like last night with 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 Anderson, he was terrific. Yeah. But Bobrovsky was even better and they, they couldn't score. They couldn't generate those opportunities. Florida was getting the better chances. I think that's kind of what we're going to see. Uh, in this series, that Vegas is just going to get the better chances as yeah, the series goes it's on. It's funny you say that because last year's Jake Ottinger that we saw here in Calgary had fans like literally oh, trying to summon demons and curses on Reddit and everything to try to find a way to beat this guy. But at the end of the day, it was exactly what you said. It didn't matter because Vegas or excuse me, Dallas couldn't score, so he could make fifty yep. saves and stand on his head. He didn't get any backup, and it didn't matter. And they wasted what was one of the best. Playoff goalie performances, Ken, I've ever seen. It was so funny going through all the stuff yeah. here in, in Calgary from it. And you're, you're, I think your point's uh, 100% dead on when it comes to Ottinger in that sense. Yep, we uh, had him. 
Go ahead. We had the same thing with Thatcher Demko. We had the exact same thing with Thatcher <laughs> Demko. He had one of the best expected goal series I've ever seen, but they couldn't score. They couldn't generate any offense, and it went wasted. Yep, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, we're looking forward to this one. Game one goes tonight. Ken, always appreciate the time. Thank you so much, uh, as always, for hopping on with us. Enjoy the series. We'll check in with you again soon, eh? Will do. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Ken Belke, Sinbin Vegas, uh, checking in with us to get us all set for the Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars tonight. Uh, you can follow Ken on Twitter, uh, at Ken Belke, but uh, more of his work at Sinbin Vegas. Uh, they are uh, the Golden Knights coverage team there. Uh, first one when uh, Vegas moved there, uh, Sinbin came up and has been doing great coverage ever since. So always appreciate Ken coming on. He always hopped on a couple other programs like Hockey Central 960 and other shows, but always appreciate his time on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. That game goes tonight. It will not be on your radios. It'll be on your TVs. Uh, Sportsnet and CBC will cover it. 6.30 puck drop, game one of the Western Conference Final. As far as what's happening on the radio for the rest of the day, Hockey Central 960 with the one and only Haley Salvians coming up next. You've got the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Vilpovich. Flames talk with Steinberg. We'll then take you out to uh, Toronto for the Jays and the Orioles at 5 o'clock. And then 8 o'clock tonight, Wranglers and Firebirds, Game 5, the fifth and deciding game of the Pacific Division Final uh, with Sandra Prasina on the call right here on Sportsnet 960, the fans. So we are jam-packed with coverage today. I'm sure there'll be more reaction to the Kyle Dubas news coming up throughout the afternoon. Uh, So stay tuned for all of that for uh, my, my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor. Appreciate them. Uh, and all their hard work. Uh, thank you to you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. And thank you to both of our guests today, Sandra Persina and Ken Belke, for joining us. We will be back on Tuesday. Enjoy the long weekend. Get out there. Have some fun. Uh, rest and relax. And we'll uh, check in with you next week. And maybe we'll have some Flames news to dive into. Fingers crossed. Uh, off season. Only going to get more interesting from here for the Calgary Flames. And can't wait to uh, be with you every step of the way. Have a great long weekend. We'll check in with you next week.